Hi, I'm Sarah. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down with mamas to talk about their health, their work, their parenting, and all the different ways that they're keeping it together. Juna is a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, we are sharing an episode that I recorded with Amanda Mexner from the Master Your Health podcast and popular Instagram account, MeowMex. Amanda is recently married and is gearing up for the next big phase of her life, becoming a mom. I sat down with her to answer all her questions about fertility, trying to conceive, and how to have the healthiest pregnancy possible. We also debunked some of the most common myths about pregnancy, specifically when it comes to nutrition and exercise. Before we dive in, I want to share a review about the Juna podcast from Jay Dalk. She says, this podcast is loaded with so much information on pregnancy, health, fitness for moms and mom hacks, and so much more. I love that they feature various experts in the mom community to share educational content, but I really love hearing their personal stories too. If this is your first time listening or you've been with us for a while, please subscribe to the podcast so we can help other mamas like you have healthy and fulfilling pregnancies. Okay, let's get to the show. And I'd like to welcome to the show, Sarah. Hello, hello. Mom of three. How old is your youngest right now? He is three months. Oh my God. Yes. That's crazy. How old are all of your kids now? It's probably a little crazy right now. It's, it's yes, contained chaos is what I like to <laughs> My oldest is, just turned four last week okay. and my middle just turned two in July. So we did very close back to back to back and it's definitely chaotic right now oh but that's gonna be they're gonna i also three i feel like three is a nice number so is two yeah but it's funny everyone i love levi my youngest i wouldn't trade him for the world but when i like look back at it i'm like two would have been enough two especially in, <laughs> I felt like it would have been enough especially in la because i just i don't know it's a lot but i th- i think three is like a party though it is a party it is a party <laughs> it's probably gonna feel good when levi is like a little bit older yes everyone with three says when your youngest is four like showering by himself wiping his own butt dressing themselves like (laughs) it gets much easier so I'll keep you posted (laughs) yes so obviously like a lot about pregnancy all that so that's gonna be the discussion today but I wanted to start off with what are some things you can do if you're trying to get pregnant what are some things you can do with your fitness with your health to prepare for that stage of your life yes so I'll start by saying that the trying to conceive period is like very case by case. There's people who, and especially when it comes to like infertility stuff, like if you, it, it could be your body fat, it could not be your body fat, it right. could be because you're obese, it could, there's a million different things. But in general, eating, you know, like whole and whole grains, healthy foods is very beneficial. The There's data that suggests the Mediterranean diet is probably best for the trying to conceive period nice. for both men and women. And don't let anyone tell you that the men's diet or doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because I know they su- always think that. <laughs> yeah, it's super important for sperm counts. When it comes to activity, if you are obese, there is nothing, which is basically like I hate BMI, but using BMI as a barometer. Yep. If your BMI is higher and then there's no amount of working out that wouldn't be beneficial for you. The suggestion is to do 150 minutes. Um, spread out over the week. Wow. But if you are like normal or underweight, it's it's all going to be determinant of how you ovulate. And so when you're trying to conceive, you want to make sure that you are ovulating. And if you're not, then you should start tempering back your working out. Yep. No, I actually have a close friend and she 
She is on the the thinner side. She's not like too thin, but she definitely is cautious about overworking out right now. She's Mm -hmm. trying to get pregnant. She's like, normally I'm always pushing to my max and probably exercising a little bit too much. And she's, I'm tapering that down to a bit of a healthier level, which she probably should just do in general. But especially it sounds like around that period, it makes sense for some people. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's, I think keeping it to a 30 minutes and in general, like this is much easier said than done, but trying to minimize your stress. So if you are doing like stressful workouts and that's just not not just like emotional stress but like the physical stress on your body is what impacts your ovulation and you really want to make sure that's dialed in I realize now that I should zoom out a little bit because not everyone even knows what ovulation is or what your cycle is oh yeah so I would recommend downloading one of those like period tracker apps like Mm -hmm. even I think Apple even has it built in now into their Apple health kit but there's a million different apps so just if you're in the trying to conceive like mindset just Download an app, start tracking your cycle, figuring out how long your cycle is, if your cycle is regular, and if it's not, then you need to start thinking about um, how to regulate it because if you're not ovulating normally, then it's going to be much harder to conceive. I know. I recently been using Flow like the past six months, and I was, I was like, why am I, why was I not using this before just for knowing when my period is coming? Overall, it's pretty. I've been off birth control for a long time now. And so my period is very regular, but oh, I was good. like, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> good. <laughs> but I was like, why didn't I download this app before? Because I don't know, I would just not keep track and be like, is my period coming? Like, why do I feel so bloated? Why do I feel a little off? And then my period would come and I'd be like, oh, okay, that's why. So that's been great resource. And like you said, for preg- trying to conceive, I think it's going to be super helpful. Definitely. It was funny. My mom, when I was in high school and obviously new to my period, like whenever I would be super emotional, my mom would be like, are you getting your period? And I'm like, no. And I would infuriate me. And then a day later, I'd get my period. And I'm like, man, she was right. And then had I had this app, I'd like know when these emotional swings would come. Yeah, it's super helpful. Even yeah. That's what I was saying. If you're, even if you're not anywhere near that timeline, I would download one of these. Yes, yes. It's extremely helpful. Talking about fitness and all that, there's so many misconceptions when it comes to working out when you're pregnant. So I'd love to hear what can you do? Also, what are some of the misconceptions around core work? All that stuff. I know you have a wonderful app. It's called Juna. Mm-hmm. For anyone looking for safe exercises, already built in your app, but give us the download. Yes. So I'll start by saying there's a lot of myths around exercising during pregnancy. And that's just because the the internet is a like dark and dirty place. And you find, you like you Google something and it's, oh, this says you can't do that. But this other thing says you can do that. And it'd be right. incredible if as the evidence and data comes in that all of these websites with stuff out there would update their stuff. That would be amazing. Because it's, I'm going to use the heart rate one, for example. I think it was back in, you know, 20 years ago, they recommended that women who are pregnant get a heart rate monitor, use it every time they exercise. And if they exercise, oh, and if their heart rate comes over 140 beats per minute, then they need to stop immediately. And that's just no, like if, especially for like really fit people, like right. 140 beats per minute is virtually nothing. Like I'm, I think about like me, like I'm steady, like my max heart rate is about 180. And right. so if, if you're operating at 60 to 80% max heart rate, which is what you should be doing during your exercise when you're pregnant, then like I'm not even close to that. Yeah. And so I think like what that, so anyway, about that myth, like it's a hundred, all the, one of the number one questions we get is, okay, like I, can I exercise over with my heart rate over 140 beats per minute? Yes, you can. <laughs> and I know that that was one of the things that like, I saw when I was pregnant for the first time. I was like, oh my God, I can't exercise. I can't run it. Cause like if I, my heart rate's going to be over 140 beats per minute. 
Anyway, the new recommendation is to use the talk test, which okay. is you should be able to carry on a light conversation, one, two, three words like with someone. Okay. If you're like super breathless, then like you're obviously depleted of oxygen. So what does that mean for baby? So just temper it, it back down. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that has that been pretty easy for you to find that range? I feel like when you're pregnant, you're also like a little more tired. So yes, I it's interesting because I, as like a data geek on this, like I'm I've always I, I will wear a heart rate monitor just to see where I am breathless yes. and like how it relates to the 140 beats per minute. And I think it's it's it, it totally depends on like where you're fatiguing, what trimester you're in, because you have a lot more blood in your body. Your like your heart rates, your heart is pumping much harder to move the blood around your body. Mm-hmm. And so I think like it's it it is it is interesting like how it changes throughout your pregnancy. And so yes. keeping that information is probably helpful. Yeah, not important. Like I can do a Peloton like pretty like not even a low intensity one and and stay in like that 150 155 and feel like I'm getting a good workout in that's good but I will say as someone who like loves to sweat hard and feel like I'm getting an insane workout like pregnancy is not the time to do that like you can in terms of the sweat and the feeling completely breathless and you just kicked your ass I know I swear yeah yeah (laughs) of course I feel like I'm gonna miss that a little bit especially the it's so hard for me to sweat like I have to be my I have to be kicking my ass or I have to be in the sauna so I know I'm gonna miss that a little bit but super worth it no saunas (laughs) I know no no hot no hot yoga Mm -hmm. which we can't right now but I'm gonna miss that We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Okay, so that kind of addresses the heart rate myth and then in terms of like exercises or what you can and can't do like core and all that yes what are some myths or tips around that so the all the core exercises like you'll hear don't do any ab work during pregnancy and that is true and it is not true so it's don't do abdominal exercises like you're not trying to have a six-pack <laughs> like <laughs> no that can't do 100 no crunches, crunches. Yes. And, and then like ACOG says not to do crunches after 20 weeks but my recommendation is there's absolutely no reason for you to be doing crunches like the moment you find out you're pregnant or even trying to conceive because it's just like a counterintuitive thing like you're 
your at your like literally your rectus abdominis needs to separate to make room for baby. So there's it's it, think about what like what you need to be doing and yes. that's not what you need to be doing. Yes. What you do want to be doing is core work. Like having a strong core throughout your pregnancy is probably the most number one thing to help alleviating your back pain. Like all of the different like mm-hmm. your like the postural changes that happen throughout pregnancy, like the core is what will prevent your back hip. Like all this misalignment that happens, if you have a strong core, like then you probably can avoid a lot of the issues that end up like yeah. plaguing most pregnant women. That makes sense. Because I always see like plank's a good one when you're pregnant. Is it plank or what, what's, I'm just curious, like what are one or two like great core exercises yes so i like to do side planks okay during pregnancy planks i recommend in moderation and it okay. all depends on like how you can control the intra-abdominal pressure and so if you're doing a plank and you look down and doming in your in your core or coning is what the like the, the terminology is then you're like not controlling your intra-abdominal pressure and you're mm. like probably making the diastasis like so this is all about diastasis recti okay when your linea alba which connects your um, rectus abdominis starts to separate okay a hundred percent of women will have diastasis recti in their third trimester of pregnancy okay because it has to separate to make room right like your literally your core has to like has to make space for it but when it starts to like the linea alba like stretches too much, it becomes too thin. That's when you run into the problems because it like won't just go back after pregnancy. Got it. So what you want is a really strong transverse abdominis. Like extra, there's like really good rotational exercises that will help build a strong core. Side planks, things that you wouldn't even think about like squats. If you're like, yes. if you're, if you're engaging your core and I, it's like a lot in the app, we'll talk about having a core connection. So that's like making sure that your TVA is like constantly engaged, like meaning like you could essentially like be punched in the stomach and it's also attached to your pelvic floor. So like a lot of the breathing exercises, you wouldn't think that like diaphragmatic breathing would strengthen your core, but it's like one of the most important things you can do throughout your pregnancy. Really interesting. No, that now I really want to get your app because I'm like, I definitely don't know all these exercises that are super beneficial. Yes. And like also I've heard like a lot of the things you're doing before you're pregnant, like exercise wise, like you said, based on, but also being able to talk through it. You can pretty much do a like a lot of running, biking, yeah. doing weights as long as you're not doing like certain exercises basically and you're keeping you're yes. not the intensity not too high. Yeah. So the two things that I would say are no no's, like that I just would not recommend are crunches. Yeah. Anything supine, like with a supine flexion. So basically like laying on your back, sitting up, wouldn't do it. Okay. And then the other thing is twisting. And I will use twisting as in not like for like where hips are staying still and your trunk is twisting. So that is a no no rotational movements which is basically from your feet all the way to your shoulders like making sure getting those like really long lines across your like your sides that's really good for your body but not from with your hips still got it does that make sense yes that makes sense i'm I'm showing you but it's not (laughs) it may not translate that's really interesting okay so now that we're still on this subject of fitness how is it postpartum i know obviously you have a recovery period also as someone who loves to work out, what is the news for me there and just people in general? Yes. So postpartum exercise is one of those 
like it's unique for every person, every delivery, like every experience. Like what did you do during pregnancy? What like all of those things play into your postpartum recovery. I'm going to use myself as an example and my pregnancies and how they differed. So like in my first pregnancy, I was not a prenatal and postnatal exercise specialist. I did not know what I could or couldn't do. I exercised, but I would say like minimally, just because I spent a lot of time being confused about what was about, <laughs> what yes. I was, what I was, what yes. I was allowed to do, and what I wasn't. I put on like the appropriate amount of weight. Like I, I think I put on thirty pounds or thirty-five okay. pounds. The recommendation is twenty-five to thirty-five if you're in the normal weight class. Yeah. And then my recovery, like I had the world's worst hemorrhoids, just awful hemorrhoids i'm sorry if this is tmi but oh this no is, this we're is talking great. pregnancy so we, this yeah. is like- <laughs> i want to we want to hear it all because i like you what and i also like what you do on your instagram page which is juno.moms is you show both the good the good the bad the ugly like you have it all in there yeah i like the keeping it real but anyway so you had really bad hemorrhoids really bad hemorrhoids and i had a grade two tear which is you know very common i think it's like 90 percent of first-time moms tear the have a perennial tear I, I thought that most of my recovery was related to the perennial tear, but it turns out it was mostly the hemorrhoids that were just so bad. But I, I literally couldn't walk for two weeks. Mo- moving up the stairs was painful. Every movement was like painful. And oh, fun. I, I just can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, this is, I couldn't, the thought of working out was so far from my, like my capacity and so when I went to my six-week recovery you know my six-week appointment which is that's pretty traditional you see your OB at six weeks that I just got the okay to continue exercising I didn't like know what I should do so I just went back to my normal exercise went back to I think I started doing one of the beach body programs was oh, it funny. the Joel and Jericho like kickboxing one? Oh, nice and I would just like leak urine, you know, like in oh my Oh my pants. God. And, and I'm sorry. Just no, I'm just like, no, I love it. I'm just more like thinking about myself when I react that way. I'm like, oh, yeah. great. It's, it's going to be so exciting. But I just, I didn't do the things like proper pelvic floor care throughout the pregnancy. You know, like, so it was just all these things that I just was not prepared for. Mm-hmm led my recovery which was not fantastic and I don't think I felt like myself fitness wise until maybe a year after which like I know to some people they're like yeah it took a year to but like for me like I was Was a a little bit long for you yes yeah so you're saying basically you feel like if you followed did more of the right exercises the pelvic floor exercises which I guess would lead you to your third pregnancy you said was like one of your best in some ways yes yeah so I'd love to hear about that So I think a couple of the things that really plagued me in both my first and second pregnancies was pubic symphysis diastasis, which is, it's very common. It's because of the hormone relaxin in your body when you're pregnant, which helps like basically spread all your joints. Like it's like what allows your baby to, what allows your body to exit your baby, right? Like your hips have to spread out. So there's this hormone that's pumping through your body. It's called relaxin. So it causes my pubic symphysis attachment to separate mm. which is basically the, the like front of your vaginal bone like right like it I used to say it feels like somebody has kicked me right in the crotch because it was just so painful wow so like walking her let alone I mean anything like lunges anything with a single leg was just super painful the, my last pregnancy all of the exercises in Juna are like built for strengthening like all of the muscles in your pubic re- region so like 
we did lots of like band work like tiny like working the tiny muscles in all of your hips that support your pelvis so that all of that stuff like just didn't plague me at all so like I worked out from five weeks to 40 like I I had a full-blown exercise workout the morning that I went into labor like I just had no problem exercising did not deal with pubic symphysis at all forgot where the question was but yes there's like lots of exercises that you can do that will prevent like back pain hip pain pubic symphysis pain like all those things that end up like plaguing you throughout your pregnancy so in your third pregnancy did you do a lot pre-pregnancy or you did a little bit and but it was also very much during your pregnancy you did the right exercises I did a lot pre-pregnancy too but that's because I just I was in the like before like I was building Juna. So like I knew what I should be doing. Right. To have the right. Like it was, it was like one of those things, which is why we launched the Trying to Conceive program too. It's so that you can start prepping your body for pregnancy. You're getting a 12-week head start. You know, like it's so that you're not just like getting into fitness. And which, by the way, was one of the things that I wanted to touch on while we were talking about pregnancy myths and stuff. One of the things that they say is – what OBs will tell you is, okay, just do what you can continue doing what you were doing before. And so a lot of people take that as, well, I wasn't exercising before, so I can't start an exercise program now. And that's just, that's not true. Right. And so I think if there is one thing that I want people to take away from this podcast is it's, it's that is not true. If you didn't exercise before pregnancy, you can start exercising during your pregnancy. Yes. You start easy. You start like very small you build yourself up to moderate exercise and then you maintain moderate exercise throughout the rest of your pregnancy but there's there's always somewhere to start that's good to know no I also made that assumption that was like okay if you're if you weren't exercising before and you get pregnant do not exercise but that's good you can it's about keeping it at that like lower level and then or low to medium level because obviously I, I, I bet you also part of that misconception comes from you see the pregnant women and they've been lifting heavy weights so they're still lifting heavy weights yeah you're probably not you don't want to get to that level while you're pregnant if you haven't been doing that right but there's so much you can do yes and we and even the juno workouts like we'll, we'll use low light and medium heavy like weights or bands but you can do everything with just your body weight yeah and then build up to yeah. those things and so that it's just they're the benefits of exercise during pregnancy are so enormous like for both you and and the baby that like it's it's just I that misconception like breaks my heart because there's so many people that are like I couldn't work out in the first trimester and now I can't work out at all and it's just that's not true no that's good news especially one for us fitness addicts out there but two just even hearing your story of how your recovery and you felt better the whole time so there's motivation to do that if you're not already doing that yes and I I will also say I had a great third pregnancy like I was in fantastic shape like I I ate well for the most part like I'm you know I definitely uh, love some Ben and Jerry's every now and then (laughs) it's all about oh my god the tonight dough oh really I need to try that I was always a cherry Garcia person. oh that was a good that was always my favorite I don't know the chocolate and cherry chunks yep I feel you but I'm telling you the tonight dough was my Jam. Oh, that sounds really good. But yeah, like it is fun. But I think that's a good reminder. You you want to nourish your body, nourish your baby's body. But there is a little more room for fun. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll kind of get into. I wanted to start asking you some nutrition questions. Sure. Which obviously for D- sorry. Go ahead. I don't think I finished answering your, your okay. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for I, it. That it, I don't want to gloss over it because it no, is, let's not. It's a very specific period of time. So. 
most like your the first piece of advice is listen to what your doctor says if your doctor doesn't want you to exercise until six weeks then listen to your doctor because they were the ones that were in your vagina they saw what you know like how your labor progressed and they saw what happened if you had a grade three tear and they say look don't lift your baby or your like your if you have a second kid you know don't lift your other kid don't walk upstairs don't do these things listen to your doctor that they they know best ACOG um which is the you know American Academy of Obstetrics and Gynecology they are like the guiding voice on this their recommendation now is basically it's person by person depending on the delivery that you had if you had an uncomplicated vaginal birth like there's some people that can start working out the week after like See? it's no problem yeah and with my last pregnancy I started doing light exercise at 10 days postpartum and just felt good for my body that was I had a very uncomplicated delivery I had virtually no swelling in my vagina, which was very different from my second pregnancy, which I was like, what is, did my vagina fall out? She's <laughs> that's just swelling. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like every pregnant, every delivery was different for me. So my, like my resuming fitness was different for each pregnancy too. And that is what ACOG is saying. They're like, if you had a C-section, there, the likelihood is you probably won't exercise until eight weeks, but yeah. some people can resume it at four weeks but it's always just listen to what your provider is saying and then and ask very specific questions if there's things that you want to be doing ask your OB Mm -hmm. that don't just like leave it open-ended because they'll give you the like normal response which is don't resume until we see you but if you're like I want to be able to walk with the stroller is that okay if I start doing that and at two weeks like then you're giving them very specific things that you're shit sorry oh you're good that you're interested in doing And then my recommendation is to start doing Kegels immediately. And when I say Kegel, it is the squeezing and releasing. The release is just as important. There's like a body of evidence that talks about the like hypertonic pelvic floors, which is like a very tight pelvic floor. And if you're just doing Kegels, you're squeezing, you're only going to make that worse. But you need to get blood flow back into the area because that will promote healing. And so Mm. like from the moment that I could start doing that motion which like I if you haven't had a kid you're like why wouldn't you be able to do it and it's no you like literally can't feel you can't like feel the connection of those muscles it like it does take time but from that moment you're okay I can start doing that and you're getting blood flow into your into the and it's even good if you've had a c-section as well because it just starts getting that blood moving so it promotes healing and then in Juna, we have our like zero to six week period where we just have lots of pelvic floor and core exercises that continue like that core connection because you really do have to get your core to reconnect to the pelvic floor because it's been stretched to capacity and those muscles like don't function in unison. And I always recommend seeing a pelvic floor therapist if that's if that's feasible for you. Well, you did. I did it with my second two pregnancies, my like my or my second and third pregnancies. Because with my first, I didn't even know they existed, and then had painful sex for a year, like really painful sex for a year. And then with my second two, I was like, I need to. I knew more. When you know more, you can do better. And so I saw a pelvic floor therapist and immediately figured out like what I could do, but they can assess like if you still have diastasis, because if you do have a diastasis recti, like then like resuming normal exercise, like there's modifications you need to make. And if you don't even know that you have this, you're probably going to like start doing planks and not know that you're doing more damage than good. 
Is is a pelvic floor therapist covered by insurance sometimes or not really? Yes. So some aren't, but check with your insurance provider. Mine, I think mine covers 70% of it. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that's great news because even that the possibility that it's covered on insurance is probably great news to you guys at home. So yeah, always ask your, and, and at that six week appointment with your OB, I recommend asking them for a referral. Even if you don't like if they're like you're fine because that was what my ob said to me they're like she's like, you're fine you're all healed and blah, blah blah but and like you you might be but your ob is not really as they're not like that's not their role isn't to assess the tissue and tell you if you pain you're like it's like their job was to get the baby out of you and like the pel- a pelvic floor therapist's job is to make sure that all is functioning well with your tissue wow yeah, I'm learning. I'm literally learning so much. And we've already talked a lot. So I think that's pretty crazy. I'm like that. I'm really I did this episode for myself. <laughs> so is there anything else postnatal that you want to cover? You think that's really it? Yeah, I think the the, the last thing I will say is that I will categorize myself as someone who is like, super focused on feeling like myself again. And there's one body of people that are like, don't use the word don't use the term getting your body back and I'm not using that term but um I am using like feeling like myself again and it was super important to me to to be able like exercise is something that helps me with my sanity like all all these things so I wanted to resume my fitness routine as soon as possible that was just for me that felt good but I think do what feels right for you and and if like looking like yourself or feeling like yourself again isn't that important like then that's fine too it's not about it's not about the aesthetics I think and don't like don't feel like there's gonna be judgment either way like it was important to me to be and feel like myself so I exercised and ate right and wanted to like feel (laughs) no that makes sense I think that's a great perspective it really is and I don't know that's what health and fitness is about for me I think people forget that sometimes or like people who maybe don't understand and not not talking to anyone specifically oh, why are you following like such a more regimented lifestyle? I'm like, literally, I feel better. <laughs> I feel a lot better. So. Yeah. And especially like postpartum, there's so many things going on, like you're breastfeeding, like there's for those that are choosing to breastfeed, like you're breastfeeding. So you have to, oh, that's another question that I do get a lot. So I will touch on it. A lot of people who are breastfeeding are worried about their milk production with exercise and it like talks about nutrition as well so if you there's some articles out there on the internet you'll find that say don't you be careful with your exercise because like it could impact your milk production that is not true if if you are (laughs) there's so many false things out there on the internet i swear it drives me crazy sometimes i know if you are exercising you like if you are exercising a moderate amount like you let's say you're doing 150 minutes a week you need to be you cannot be eating at a deficit that's just if you eat at that's a deficit the problem is the creating a deficit i see what yeah. you're saying so if you're trying to lose weight like there's a certain amount that you can like like work with right but you also have to take into consideration that breastfeeding burns extra calories you're typically burning anywhere from 400 to 600 calories extra and so if you're not thinking about that and you're like i normally ate an 1800 calorie diet i want to be at a deficit so i'm going to eat 1500 calories you also have to build in that extra 500 calories and that's where people get into trouble is they're like oh and so now they're at a def- like a super deficit and their milk production starts to got it so i see that's where the misconception plays in because obviously if you're exercising more but not eating more you're creating a deficit 
I know I remember from my girlfriend, she was like, the one thing, obviously she enjoyed the process of breastfeeding and it's great for her child, but she was more tired and you, you it feels like your body, she said it feels like her body was holding on to a little bit of extra mm-hmm. weight, which it sounds like it probably is, which is not a bad thing because it's not like breastfeeding isn't forever. So right. enjoy that period in your life. There's three different ways that this could go with breastfeeding. There's some people that breastfeed and the weight just flies off. Like they can't keep weight on. They lose the the baby weight plus weight. And they're like the skinniest they've ever been in their life. That's insane. There's like that group. And what's interesting is those people are never like, oh, this is great. They're literally like, I can't, I don't even recognize. I'm like a like a bag of oh, bones here yeah, because like a little too skinny yeah oh yeah you lose it's like this like i my friends that have it's like the skinniest they've ever been in their lives and they they were like what happened and then they stopped breastfeeding and they're they were like back to their normal weight but so there's that group of people then there's the group of people that which i'm i fall in this category where it's i hang on to five to seven pounds my body's just like making that buffer and as soon as i stop breastfeeding I lose that weight. Yes. It sounds like my girlfriend. Yeah. And then there's another group of people that they'll like, they'll lose weight like normal and then they will put weight back on when mm. they stop breastfeeding because like you are burning extra calories and so you've gotten used to like eating a certain way and then you stop breastfeeding and you. Yes. And then you might if you have to wanna, adjust. Yeah. Readjust. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, well, I guess that brings me into the nutrition questions now. Yes. Because I have quite a few. So pre prenatal like before you get pregnant i'm like so not used to all these terms what would you focus on nutrition wise before you try or while you're trying to conceive definitely focus on fatty fish so want to get those omega-3s in yes healthy whole grains and lots of fruits and vegetables so i think of eating the rainbow the way you eat i think like there's not the only thing that i would probably tell you to do is eat more fish Yep, like no, you're. I need to be a little better about that. Some weeks I'm good, some weeks I'm not. But yeah, eat the rainbow. I say eat the rainbow. Don't taste the rainbow like I, some Skittles. Exactly. <laughs> Unless that's your part of your eighty twenty. But yeah. And then you wanna you wanna start taking a prenatal vitamin. My recommendation is to go with folate rather than one that has folic acid. Okay. And if you can find one that has choline in it, that's great. But you eat a lot of eggs too. So I love, I, I had Yeah, I don't think choline's are going to be your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, met, the, you know, guys, I mentioned the med- Mediterranean diet is really the best for trying to conceive, period. Nice. So for, I know you're not a full dietitian, but for vegans and stuff, so like taking choline and stuff would be super important. Yes, choline, omega-3s. Yeah, that's, it's obviously, I, these are like all, I hate like the hard and fast rules because there's plenty of vegans and vegetarians that are getting like fine and they get pregnant and it's totally fine but these are in general also vegan and vegetarian I think to do it correctly just takes more planning like you can do it up for sure but it does take a little bit more planning exactly yeah yes and then so now okay you're trying to conceive you got pregnant you got pregnant (laughs) you're pregnant hopefully me one day soon (laughs) (laughs) what are some of the biggest nutrition myths when you're pregnant okay so I remember when I got pregnant for the first time, the first thing I did was I Googled, like, what can I eat and what can I, what can, yeah. actually, I, I Googled what can I eat? And it was just like, the list was enormous. It's don't eat cheese, don't eat deli meats, don't eat raw eggs, don't eat, uh, and all of sushi, this, all don't the... eat sushi, don't drink alcohol, don't have caffeine, caffeine, don't, the list is just, I remember my, <laughs> one of my friends like texted me just this past year and she's like, can you eat soft serve ice cream? And I was like, I literally haven't. And then I did, I found an article that was like, don't 
don't eat soft serve ice cream because of this blah, blah, blah. and you're just like that that is the most ridiculous thing in the world like right. but anyway so the list was just so endless so I remember like being like okay I need to start like doing a little bit of digging and this was before the Emily Oster who's an economist wrote the book expecting better she had just had a bunch of articles and so I read some of her articles and I was like oh I, she took all of the the evidence and like all the studies and broke down which studies were like were biased and like, why they weren't why they weren't the right like why they weren't looking at the data in the appropriate way yeah and so I, I went with her recommendations and so one of the big myths is don't eat cheese right don't eat soft cheeses or mm-hmm. unpasteurized soft cheese. basically you can eat soft cheese like majority of soft cheeses if you're in a grocery store are all pasteurized oh it's literally i feel like only in la in la now like the new trendy thing is like raw milk and raw dairy which mm-hmm. i'd say when you're not pregnant you should definitely try it there's a lot of benefits but that's what you would avoid right the raw you want the pasteurized cheeses. You do. It's actually interesting because the raw stuff has to go through significantly more Dangerous. testing. So it's actually like those have less like bacteria than they've been found to have less bacteria. I'm not telling any. Look, the recommendation is to have on pasteurized stuff. But when you look at the data and there's a dead dietitian, Lily Nichols, who goes into all of this. And I, if you like, geek out on this stuff, I recommend getting her book. Her book again? It's prenatal. We'll add yeah, it in yeah, the show yeah. notes it's, afterwards. It's, yes. But it, it's, she goes into all of this and she debunks like pretty much everything. But so, and it, Emily Oster talks about the specific cheeses that you should just not eat. And that's basically like any Mexican soft cheese because most of them don't go through any of the pasteurizing. Oh, okay. And, and when it comes to the like safety protocols, the data on it is those are what is really causing the, the wow, big bump. That's really interesting. Yeah. I will say, like Sarah said, you don't have to risk it with the raw cheese. But in general, you guys, if you start seeing that in your store and you're not pregnant, please try it. It's really good. Yeah. And it's usually that high quality organic like grass fed cows. So definitely add that to your list at some point in your life. Yes. <laughs> the other one that I, the one that I like to talk about is because I did a lot of, I posted a lot of my breakfasts on Juna.moms. But the, so one of the things is not eating runny eggs and it's because of risk of salmonella. But the, data on <laughs> risking salmonella it's like one in seven or one in th- i actually have the note here it's like one in thirty thousand get oh my god one in thirty salmonella 000. this is my problem with the internet is that there's every worst case scenario out there but we really need to look at the percentages yes or we're not informed because we can read that terrible story all day but if that percentage is so low yeah. You know what I mean? So it's one in 30,000. And then in if you're, if like, depending on your farmer's practices, like it could be seven times lower than that. So if you're eating pasture-raised eggs, which like I know I was eating farmer's market eggs, all we, you, that was not like basically no very little risk. Yeah. And again, I think pregnancy nutrition is all about what you are willing to risk and versus the the nutritional deficits that you may have and so if you don't like scrambled eggs and you're no longer eating eggs during pregnancy then you're risking a choline deficit and the choline is super important for neural tube development brain development like it's just it's one of the more important things that you could be eating and if you were to say okay i'm not going to eat eggs and instead i'm going to eat cereal that's just there's they're just not nutritionally not equal. a great swap no definitely yes. that's a great point and the, and that that's again what a lot of these dietitians are like starting to point out is that like we're being over prescriptive on what we're telling people not to eat at a risk of 
like the nutritional deficits. Yeah. The other thing I just want is is fish. So yes. high mercury fish is what you should stay away from. So like shark, tuna. You can have tuna in like limited amounts. There's like also tile fish. There's also this tuna called the safest catch, and they actually look for mercury. So that mm. might be one. To, I'd still like Definitely. you said have it in moderation, but look to brands that have look out for mercury more than others yes and so there's i think there's seven fish that are in the high like really high mercury stay away from in general just think about the bigger the fish the more mercury there's going to be in it so try and eat smaller fish safe fish or the smaller fishes salmon's a great choice the high fatty fish is great for omega-3s which is super important during pregnancy the no sushi thing, this is like a one that it just cracks me up because like in different parts of the world, you have different recommendations and like that, and that's like why it's so interesting. Because you're like, why in Japan is that like a, a sign of a healthy diet yet? Like in America, we're telling people not to eat it. And again, people, if they, that's how they like to consume fish, like me, like I'm not a huge fan of cooked fish. I eat raw fish. My first pregnancy I ate very I think I didn't find the Emily Oster book until like midway through her articles until like midway through the pregnancy the first 20 weeks I didn't eat any fish essentially and then I started eating but you can eat raw fish like in general like the most the requirements in the U.S. is like all this fish has to be flash frozen if it's going to be served in a reputable agency so like you're taking out a lot of that issues if it's being served fresh how it's being handled you know how it's being stored all those things are like in the back of your mind and you're eating at a reputable place then you can eat um raw fish that's okay i know i remember i saw that on your instagram post and i know i commented oh, oh darn i'm gonna really miss that gas station sushi <laughs> like the reality is like if that that sushi place is not if it's at a gas station or it's seems like a very sketch restaurant probably shouldn't be eating there in the first place that's like all the co- combination for probably food poisoning yeah but exactly. i think that's a great i honestly think it's a great rule in general but good news for when you're pregnant yes yes the other thing is caffeine a lot of you'll find or hear that you can't have any caffeine while you're pregnant or trying to conceive or postpartum it was like the whole gambit and you're just like how am i supposed to survive i know that's, that was like literally my thought if that's like my one crutch in life a little bit yeah but the data basically suggests anywhere from 200 to 300 milligrams this is totally of caffeine per day is fine pretty high yeah it's not it's it's basically the equivalent of a cup of star of starbucks yeah which just like crack coffee yeah or if you get like normal coffee it can be a lot less obviously yeah. check your check your labels and then also rem- like there's other things that you could be drinking that have caffeine so doing like the math of yes. your day what your green, day looks like. like green tea i know even kombucha has kombucha has pretty small amounts but you're right make sure you're adding it up really? don't cheat on that part exactly even, and not that i'm recommending soda but if like you all of a sudden like crave we're a craving soda. a diet dr pepper or something yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. Yeah. No, just kidding. But uh, but yeah, that's it's that's the the little just add just add that up. I remember I had I got really used to with my first pregnancy, like just having I had two Nespresso pods, which was a hundred milligrams, and that was my I had that every day. And then I just like never amped it back up. And then that's now been my going on four and a half years, almost five years, wow, of just like my have one cup of coffee a day and it's like a cappuccino and nice yeah i can't for me i i don't know it's it's so weird now i get too nauseous like i can do i think one cup of coffee but i don't even know i'm not sure exactly what range it is and the rest is like green tea like i I can't do two cups i literally get nauseous but i can do like a 
good amount of green tea. But that, that's the other thing. I think if you want to drink like more or like, like you said, low dose caffeine, matcha mm-hmm. has less caffeine and then you mix in some green tea and then you can drink a little bit more. Throughout the day. Yeah, instead of whatever your preference is. But I know for me, I'd rather get a little bit more. No, I feel that. And then yeah. it's also during pregnancy, you have to be careful with herbal teas because it's just a lot of them are untested. They just oh, don't know, know what is recommended and what isn't recommended. There's like hibiscus isn't recommended during pregnancy. And that's like a great caffeine-free tea. And so there's little things like, and by the way, if you have a, a glass of or a cup of hibiscus tea, don't all of a sudden you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Right. It, it's not the end of the world. Like red raspberry leaf tea. There's some bodies of evidence that suggest it's fine throughout your pregnancy, but because it's supposed to tone and strengthen your uterus in the first trimester, it can, it can be mm. suggested that it might cause miscarriage. But again, if you've had red raspberry leaf tea in your first trimester, there, this is like no reason to be like, Oh my God, my baby, I feel like done something wrong. Like I This think- is just overall like plain it's safe recommendations, but yes. that's good. So that's interesting. So you have to look up what herbal teas are approved basically. Yes. What herbal teas like are like there's no issues with versus which ones like might cause some hesitation to have. Got it. Interesting. I'm trying to think of what else are some myths. Is there anything else that I've... I feel like you've covered a lot of the big ones. Then I just have some general nutrition questions about... Like how many calories you should be eating. Oh, deli meats. That was. Oh, that's the one. Yes. I was like, I know that there's two other ones. Okay. Yes. So the deli meats is a big one. And I want to cover deli meats because it, the, the risk is for getting listeriosis, which is basically terrible. It's terrible for, if you were to get listeria poisoning, which is listeriosis, it's like can be devastating for you and the baby or for the baby mostly. But, but it's, and it, the, the scary part is like, you don't, like you don't know you have it for a month and it's I went into a deep listeria hole when I was with my first pregnancy but deli meats is one of the big ones in America and I it's really interesting because 46 percent of like the, the cases with listeria or any foodborne illness really is like fruits and vegetables and so we're not telling pregnant people not to eat fruits and vegetables right like even like hummus is one is like one that keeps popping up if like I used to go onto the FDA and look at where there were recalls and why there were recalls and like hummus was one that like just constantly showed up but fruits and vegetables but we're not telling people not to have watermelon we're like it's because the pros outweigh the cons especially if you're buying safe that's when you really want to be buying safe food exactly But okay, so deli meat. Is, so is with this- deli meat, there is a, it, it, like I think it's like one in seventy-one thousand cases. So again, it's also very rare. But if you want to be super safe about it, then like you can heat it up in a microwave for forty-five seconds or thirty seconds, and then you can eat it. I did not like. I, <laughs> I mean, one in you just said one, one in, in seventy-one thousand. 70, that's insane. Yeah, I, I really feel like we're not looking at we're not t- looking at the numbers when we're making these recommendations. And I think that's the tough part about data these days is like, and it, it can be manipulated or even maybe not on purpose, but we're really just not looking at it the right way. So I definitely want to check out that book. Yes, it is. Oh my god, it's just a wealth of knowledge and yeah fascinating so is deli meets the last misconception you wanted to cover yeah that i think that about covers it yep maybe if one will pop up in my head but definitely keep going so when it comes to like how many calories you need to add because i feel like that can be very confusing or let's oh just eat whatever you want obviously you're saying you should eat certain things for the nutrients but Mm -hmm. about what is the calorie range for people about and i know everyone's different so instead of talking about what, like how many calories you should eat, okay. I will talk about the myth of eating for two. Okay. You are not. 
You are not <laughs> eating for two. It does not mean double your calorie consumption. You know, like in the first trimester, you don't need any additional calories. Okay. You should eat as is. In the second trimester, you need anywhere from 300 to 350 extra calories yeah. to support the growth of your baby. And in the third trimester, you need a 450 additional calories. And in the fourth trimester, which is basically your postpartum period, it's anywhere from 450 to 550. And that's to support that extra, like the burn that your breastfeeding is that's doing. That's fascinating. Yeah. And that was what I meant, like how many extra calories yeah. you're eating because we're all in our, our own range. but. That's crazy that the most you're probably eating is is postpartum. postpartum. Yeah. I would not expect that. I know. And it's actually interesting. I think about like one of the easy ways to get in those extra calories like without just being like, okay, then I'm going to eat like a like Your a ice cream cone. Ben and Jerry's <laughs> exactly. for you. Is, is, is adding it like incrementally through. And that's something we do. We show on our Instagram page a lot. It's like different ways that you can just throw some avocado here, a handful of nuts here. And that is how you can easily and healthy, healthfully in a healthy way like add additional calories but again like i i truly believe in moderation like i'm an 80 20 person and so if like today is the day that you want to eat have those 450 calories of being ben and jerry's then you do you but like finding healthier ways to support those extra calories is recommended no Um, i definitely think healthy fats are a great way to one mm -hmm. i'm sure you probably need it a little bit more during pregnancy but two it's just a nice way to add more calories and do you are you hungrier like a lot hungrier do you have a Or does your body for you, was it like, okay, it's intuitively eating the right range? I think so. One of the big recommendations that you'll hear from pretty much every prenatal dietitian is to do small meals, like small nutritious meals throughout the day. So six small meals. It will help prevent heartburn. It helps keep your blood sugars even. There's there's so much information about why you should do that. That's just not how I eat. And especially Mm. with, it is how you eat. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'll probably do something like that. But that makes sense of, that sounds, that works well for people that like to eat all the time, constantly small meals. But there's plenty of people who don't like to eat like that. Yeah. And so it it, it was just like, and also if you have kids already, like it's so, I, I probably could have done that with my first pregnancy, with my second pregnancy. Like I just didn't have the bandwidth to prepare myself like healthy meals for and, and the right proportion of macros like for each snack and meal I was just like my brain was not there yeah. was like I'm trying to do that for my kid I can't do that for myself right but so like I, I think that was uh, the way I got in my extra calories was I would like always have an apple with peanut butter with um like the with coconut chips it was like oh. that was my like easy trying to get like all the different things in and I knew that it was up uh, close to 350 calories but I was like one of those people that ate big meals and then by the time my belly was so like I would eat probably two or three big meals a day. And when I say big, but you're like average meal, <laughs> like it's probably, but I didn't break it up into small things. And then by the time like the third trimester rolled around, I would have one big meal and I'd have such bad heartburn from it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I okay, like, so that wouldn't eat the rest of the day. And I'm like, <laughs> and I also wasn't hungry the rest of the day. It was like, as I never understood how small meals or small frequent meals, like how because like I just as soon as I ate my stomach was full it didn't matter how how much the meal was it was just like that was it for me so I would try and I was just like I couldn't find the hunger for me interesting but I think other people are like voracious eaters that's me when I'm breastfeeding there's yes. it's an endless pit yes <laughs> so that's really interesting but that's that's good to know like about the calories you should be adding which is yeah. it's a great 
And if you can do small frequent meals. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it is better for heartburn, but. Oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> definitely for the heartburn. So in terms of focusing on certain nutrients, okay, you covered that. What about, I don't know if you covered everything during pregnancy, but like postpartum. Yes. So it's interesting, but I still think that like fuel, if you're going to be breastfeeding, then you want to make sure that you're fueling your body for you and baby because that's where they're getting their nutrients too. Choline is still one of the most important things. It's actually almost more important during postpartum, but um, especially if you're breastfeeding because it's it's fueling baby's baby's brain development. So very important. Definitely the easiest way to get it is through egg yolks. So don't do egg whites. You shouldn't be doing egg whites anyway. I don't know why people are afraid of the yolks. Like yeah. the yolks. super misconception. Oh my God. If that That is just like all the nutrients are in the yolk. Yes, absolutely. No. <laughs> then also like again, folate. And then there's just like other f- foods to help fuel your like nutritional components for your breast milk. That's, yeah. I think it goes back to just eat the rainbow. Yep. Eat lots of fruits and vegetables, have a well-balanced diet, and it's like it's consistent from TTC, from trying to conceive through pregnancy. I think if you build the right habits when you're trying to conceive, then there's not much. I don't, my diet hasn't changed from when I was trying to conceive to when I was pregnant to when I was postpartum. Like I right. still have like eggs and spinach in the morning. I have occasional toast, but I've been trying to stay away from grains for a variety of different reasons but right but then like lunch I have a very big salad with some lean protein and it's just, it's just those are the things that you should get into the habit of because that's how you should be eating yeah in general no I do yeah. I do the Mediterranean diet too in a sense it's a very balanced diet but obviously like on the Master Health podcast we're very much there's no one size fits all mm-hmm. diet but whole foods first and it sounds like fatty fish and choline super important throughout yes. your whole pregnancy yes and And just eliminating processed foods no one wants to hear that but if it's in a bag or a box yeah you shouldn't be eating a lot of it yeah minimizing 80 80 20 that's your 20 percent don't overdo it exactly and when you're you got to look out for you and the baby exactly exactly when you're building life right (laughs) (laughs) building and hosting and then growing a life yep honestly i I could go on with you for a long time but i know you have a nanny to get back (laughs) in a little bit real life real mom life right here real mom life right um but there's one question i ask our guests on every podcast because it's a master health podcast so what area would you have listeners master first when it comes to just their life or their health what would you say gives you the most bang for your buck if you focus on that first? Man, I would say for me, the best thing that I've done in terms of my health isn't actually something that I like put into my body or move my body. It's more of the setting boundaries for my body. Ooh. Yeah, so like setting boundaries as in like th- – I'm working right now or I'm not working right now. I'm with yep. my kids right now. and so, Or I'm doing this right now or I'm not doing – these are the times that I'm going to do this and this is the time that I've set aside for it. And I think as soon as I mastered that, like I became a lot less stressed about it. And I'll use an example. There was a period where I was trying to balance working from home 
while taking care of my kids while blah, blah blah like the list goes on and I would be sitting there with my son like trying to get him dinner while also trying to like respond to an email and then he would be like mom and I'd be like Luca give me a-. like and, I, and I'd be a parent that I don't want to be and the, the problem is that I was trying to do three things at once and right I'm doing I'm shortchanging all of them and that's just shitty for everyone and so I had to start setting boundaries okay from four to seven I'm with my kids and I'm not going to be responding to people on email I'm not going to be commenting on Instagram and I it was setting that hard boundary like definitely had has okay like I'm not going to be doing work so that work's not getting done then and but it did help my sanity with the type of parent that I was because I had endless patience versus no patience and and so I think by by setting those boundaries um, just made my life much easier and I and better for everyone. I hope to take that advice going into having children. But I think that's great. And obviously for, for parents who work part-time, something like finding that daycare, finding that nanny or finding that family member. So you can have your right, like I know right now you're working like eight to one or something. So having that time to really, okay, I'm doing work. This makes me feel good. And then I can feel good. Yep. During parent time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also like I right, right now is I have a limit. I have limited time to work, but like I also have limited time to work out. And so working out is important to me. So from eight to nine, instead of working, I'm working out because that's to me part of it. And I think you always yeah. just have to strike a balance with what are the, the absolute things that you will not concede on. And for me, working out is one of them. And yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. Like p- selecting your priorities and then also, but like you said, if you are limited, my friend said this don't do all or nothing like all or something working out super important to you but you can't dedicate an hour dedicate half an hour until yep. you have some more support or something exactly yeah exactly i really enjoyed today's episode where can people get connected with you find your app where is that available yes give us all the juicy details all right thank first of all thank you so much for having me on this is so fun love yes. sitting across me can't wait for you to be on this journey yes <laughs> um you can find me at juna.moms that's j-u-n-a.moms that's where we give lots of pregnancy advice both on health nutrition fitness and then general mom life and then you can find the app on both android or ios go to just search juna um, or juna pregnancy workouts whatever but you'll find us yes i'll definitely link in the show notes and yeah i love their instagram page so much like free content it's not a page that they're just trying to sell you something there's tons of advice on there i find it super interesting and, and super helpful And I also learned a lot today. But anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in to to today's episode. I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye.